Okay, I believe I'm on. Can you hear me? Just a sound check quickly. There we go. It's not always nice to hear yourself, is it? Hey. Have you ever heard your own voice over a recording? That's, oh man, I hate that. Let's turn our <laughs> Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. I feel sorry for you because you need to listen to it. 1 <laughs> Peter chapter 4. And um, as you're finding that, uh, you will know that I've, I've been steadily going through uh, the epistle of 1 Peter, and um, we'll be continuing this great passage that we started last time that I stood before you, uh, that started in verse 8, where Peter exhorts his, or, or the believers that he's writing to, or actually all believers, to have fervent charity among ourselves. And then he goes on to show us in the, in the rest of this passage how to actually um, practically work out this fervent charity that we should have um, amongst ourselves, how to live it out. And that's really just repeating and explaining again what Jesus told us then in John chapter 13, verse 34, where he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. You all know that. Jesus said, As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then he said in verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So it's a great evangelistic tool, <laughs> actually, to, also, to love one another, among all the other benefits and all the other things that it brings. Now, read with me First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Peter writes, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, we've looked at what this fervent charity means in the previous lesson, so I won't be repeating all of that again here today. But I'll remind you that we saw that this charity is actually real love, all right? And we discussed all of that last time. But this is love, and, and so you will hear me refer to this as love today, maybe not charity, because just the word charity has a different meaning in our minds right now. So I'm just going to refer to love if you'll excuse that. But real love is something that goes far beyond that sentimental kind of feeling that we think about when we think about the word love, all right? It is, it is actually the kind of love that moves you to sacrifice some of yourself um, in order to be a blessing to others, to sacrifice some of your own desires, some of your own resources, or whatever it may be. That is what real love is. It is self-sacrificial and it's extremely practical. It's not just a thing that you write about in poems or when you fall in love with somebody and you say, oh, I love you so much. That, that, that's not it, all right? And Peter says that we should be uh, fervently chasing after this real, practical, self-sacrificial kind of love um, to have that amongst ourselves as believers. Now, I've got this book on my bookshelf called A Practical View of Christianity, written by a man called William Wilberforce. Now, some of you may know that name. Wil William Wilberforce was a Christian that was a Christian man, obviously, that was uh, instrumental in abolishing the, the slave trade of the Western world. And in his book, he describes the state of Christianity as he saw it there in the late 1700s. And it's hard to read that. And then you start to think, well, not a lot has changed in all of this time when it comes to how people approach their own Christianity. You see, we have a lot of theoretical Christianity going on 
Um, not only in this time, as I said, but we've got a lot of that. And what I mean by that is that we know what the Bible says, you know, we, we say that we believe what it says, we keep on learning more about what the Bible says, what the Lord has to say about certain things, we keep on filling our hearts and our minds with it, and that is all good, all right? That's all good things, and please keep on doing that. We should be doing that. But the problem we have is that when it becomes time to put this theoretical knowledge that you have into practice, well, that is where a lot of Christians um, can't find themselves to actually do that. They are not willing to step up and to prove that uh, what they say believe is actually what they believe, and they will actually act on it and obey the Lord. And that's a real problem that we have. You know, I once heard a sermon where the preacher spoke about this, and the analogy that he used was of a a sports team, to illustrate this point. Now, you can Think about any sports team, you know, rugby, cricket, uh, soccer. If you want to call American football a sport, you can think about that as well. Um, <laughs> but, but you see, the thing is, uh, what he said is like, we as Christians are like a sports team. And we get together every Sunday, we discuss all the rules of the game, we discuss different strategies, you know, if the, if the opponents are going to do this, we're going to do that, and this is how we're going to win the game and all of that. And then next week, we come back, and we discuss the rules of the game again. We discuss all the strategies and all of these things. How are we going to win this game? What are we going to do uh, with the opponents and all that? And then the next week, we discuss the rules again, and we just keep on discussing all these things. But you know what? If a sports team does that, and they never set foot on the playing field, can you really call them a sports team? At that point, it's just a group of friends having a bra, isn't it? All right? <laughs> That's about what you have. You know, a sports team that only gets together to discuss the rules of the game and different strategies of, of achieving certain goals and what the strategy of the oppo- opposing team is going to be and, you know, um, discussing all sorts of great players that came before and great players that are there now and all of this, I think they're wasting their time. I really do. You know, if, if you're just sitting around discussing that, you have your... Springbok jerseys on or whatever, that does not make you a Springbok player. All right, that, that, that makes you a fan, perhaps. But we would be skeptical of calling them a team. You know, those people are then deceiving themselves. And so, as we, or if we hear the word being preached, and we hear all these teachings, and those things are great, we should get that in, but if we hear it and we never lift a finger to do anything about that, Aren't we just like that sports team then? Just discussing the things of the Lord, discussing different strategies, discussing the ways that Satan may attack us and what we'll do or what we can do about it. But we never do anything about any of these things. We're deceiving ourselves. Turn one book back to James chapter 1. I just want to show you what the Lord has to say about this. James chapter 1. Just so you think I'm not making these things up. James 1 and verse 22. James 1, 22. He says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, that's a mirror, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. 
Isn't that silly, right? You go and you stand in front of the mirror, you see exactly what you look like, oh man, this is a mess, and whatever, and you turn around and you forget immediately and you do absolutely nothing about that. That's what James is getting at here. He says, but, verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, what's that? That's the Bible, right? The Word of God. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So I pray today that we won't be forgetful hearers of the word, to, uh, of the word today, but that we will be doers of the word. And you know what? That's the best way not to forget what the word says, is to actually implement it, isn't it? If you think back on high school maths, I know some of you have just blanked that out. <laughs> just <laughs> what do they call it? PTSD, right? But... <laughs> but um, if you, if you think back on that, the only way that you can really understand the subject matter, and not just maths, any subject, is by actually doing the thing that you've just learned. All right? You look at the example that the teacher puts on the board, and then you go and implement something sort of like that. Maybe not the exact same thing, but something like that. And only then are you able to grow and get to more difficult things and more difficult things. And that's the point that we um, are getting at here. We need to be doers of what we read and what we hear from the Word. But I think I know at least one reason why we have this problem within Christianity, and that is that we know that if we had to actually do these things that we read in the Word and that we hear teachings on and all of this and preaching on, if we do any of that, well, it's going to cost us something. And we're not willing to pay that, pay that price, you know. It might cost us some of our time to actually implement this. And that's time that we could have spent watching a movie, you know, playing a video game, something, you know, something worthwhile, I guess, right? <laughs> it might cost us some of our money, some of our money that we could have spent on something else, you know. I need, we need to buy some pizza, right? It might cost us some of that money, right? It might, might cost us our reputation. Oh, and the Lord knows we love our own reputation. We want to build that up. Isn't that the sole reason why social media exists? Is to build up your own reputation? Oh man, we love that. I want to post a message and I want to see a thousand thumbs ups or whatever it may be. It might cost us our reputation if we implement these things that we learn. But whatever it may be, you know, moving from being a theoretical Christian to being a practical Christian will cost you something. It will. And most of us are just not willing to pay that price. And so when it comes to the matter of how we should be loving each other, we need to realize that we need to not only love in word, but we need to love in deed. We need to do something about it. If you're married today, you know, if you have a husband or wife, if they only tell you that they love you, but they never do anything about that, all the rest of it shows that they hate you, but they at least say that they love you, that saying it means nothing. It means nothing. They need to prove it. And, and that's the same way. We need to prove that we love each other. It's not, a, it's not something that comes from a feeling. We need to um, do it indeed. And that's why I say this is a practical thing, um, loving each other. You know, it's, it's something that we need to do. And th this is what Peter gives us. We can go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. This is what Peter gives us here in the rest of this passage. It's a very practical way 
of how we can love each other practically instead of just theoretically or, or instead of just paying lip service to it. So let's read verse 8 again and we'll get there to verse 11. He says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, we looked at verse 8 in the previous lesson, but when looking at what Peter is saying as a whole in this passage here, we, we see basically three, maybe four points forming. And firstly, he says there in verse 8 that, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So that's the first thing. Chari or love covers sin. Charity covers sin. Love is willing to overlook and to forgive other people's sin that they commit against us. And, and we see from Scripture that that is exactly what God did in His love is that He is overlooking our sin. You know, we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God commendeth, He proved His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we were sinners, He still died for us. Those that were undeserving. That's love. You know, we have that famous verse, John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the love of God proven to us in that wonderful deed that He did for us there on the cross, that wonderful and terrible deed, and that He rose again from the dead. You know, God's perfect love covers our sin. And that then becomes our perfect example of how we should love each other by covering each other's sin. Now you get what that means, right? <laughs> to cover a sin means to put it away, to hide it away. You know? Maybe you don't even mention it. That's how you put it away, all right? You most certainly don't gossip about it. Right? That, that'll be the opposite of loving, right? That, that's hatred, is to gossip about somebody. Love covers sin. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we don't deal with sin or with an unrepentant sinner, you know, a brother or a sister that's unrepentant. Of course, we deal with that. There are other texts that discuss that, all right? So we know how to deal with that. But here we see that we should rather tend to forgive each other's sin. That should be our tendency. We should move towards that, to hide it away and to pass it by, like I said, perhaps even without mentioning it. Um, but Francois, I hear you say, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what so-and-so said to me or what they did. You, you have no idea how that made me feel. And you're right. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. But that's when you need to start to chase after that love for that brother or sister. That's when you need to fervently chase after that. We should be striving to cover each other's sin. Nobody said it would be easy. <laughs> All right? We should cover each other's sin, and not only one sin, not two sins. Look what it says there at the end of verse 8. For charity shall cover what? The multitude of sins. A multitude. You remember when the disciples asked Jesus about this? 
Lord, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? What did the Lord say? No. <laughs> 70 times seven. Basically saying, you don't even count the amount of times. It's a multitude of sins that you need to be forgiving. Like I said, nobody said it would be easy to do that. But then again, if you think about it, if it was easy, maybe Peter never had to write this, <laughs> if it was easy to do. So how do we do that? Well, I guess a good starting point for this is to realize that your brother or your sister that has sinned against you is a sinner, yes, just like you, you in this lifetime. But then again, perhaps will you too. You will too, right? You see, it becomes easier to co cover somebody else's sin when you let go of your pride that you have in thinking that I'm so superior, all right, and you see your brother or your sister as somebody that is on the same journey of sanctification as you are. That makes it so much easier. To put it, you know, in the, I guess, uh, in idiomatic language, I guess that's the right term, you're putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. That's what you're doing. Realize that they, you're not that much different when it comes to that. Now, that's the first point that we get from this text, and that is that love covers sin. The second point is, is there in verse 9, and that is that love reaches out. Look at verse 9. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, to use hospitality towards one another, one another is another intensely practical way of loving our brothers and sisters. It's to be hospitable. It refers to opening up our homes or other spaces, you know, to people, to welcome them um, and to be warm and friendly towards them um, while they are still there, to generously care for their needs, whether it is giving them something to eat, giving them something to wear, giving them some shelter, whatever it might be. Um, but that, that, is, that is what hospitality is. Now, of course, when we think about hospitality in this way, I think we're thinking about inviting friends and family over, you know, and for coffee and cake, or maybe for dinner or something like that, and just having some great fellowship together. Uh, or perhaps we think about, you know, when an old friend is passing through town, we'll invite them in and, you know, and say, stay a night or two, you know, so we can catch up, um, or something like that. And I think these are all perfectly fine examples of being hospitable. But notice here what Peter's, Peter writes there in verse 9. He says, use hospitality one to another. And in this context, he is specifically talking to believers. All right? We should be, use hospitality one to another. So that means that even though you are hospitable to your friends and family, which is a good thing, you should be extending that hospitality to other believers. And I would say especially so, even more so, as we read in Galatians 6 verse 10, Paul writes there, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Especially. So we should be seeking out opportunities to be hospitable towards everybody, but you get this, especially to other believers. Now, in the early days of the church, other Christians or preachers would come through town, and for various reasons, they wouldn't be able to stay in the inn, you know, the hotels of that day. They wouldn't be able to stay there, and so they had to rely on the hospitality of their fellow believers in that town when they would come through, you know, for a safe place to sleep, some shelter, 
something to eat, you know, all of those things, just the basic necessities. And so we start to see here that this concept of being hospitable is opening up a bit wider than only our friends, only our family, maybe even only our local church. It's, it's going even wider than that, and it's opening up to strangers, other believers that are strangers to us. You know, you don't know them yet. And we should be ready to receive these people at a moment's notice. That doesn't necessarily mean you always have a bed ready just in case. Might not be a bad idea if you have the space, but, but um, you just need to be ready. We read there in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, right? That by hosting strangers, strangers that are coming from wherever, they're believers, you know, they need a place to stay, and you're um, hosting them, and then they go on their way. They might even be angels, and you would never even know that. <laughs> Maybe one day in heaven, you know, some angel will come up to you and say, you remember that time when you did this? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> me, and my, me and my brother, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> that would be amazing, right? And besides that, John, uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 that, we should be inviting the poor, we should be inviting the maimed, the lame, the blind, and we should bring them into our homes and we should feed them. And the reason for that is simple, and, and Jesus explained that in the text in Luke chapter 14 that you can go read later on. But he said that if you, if you invite over your friends, you know, and somebody that's rich, you know, and, and they come over for dinner and you, you're hospitable to them, that's fine. They can repay you in the sense that they can afford it. You know, next week they're going to invite you and you go to their house. Then the following week we do the back and forth. You know, that's kind of what we do. Um, and so Jesus said, invite these people that can't do that for you, that can't invite you again because they have no way of paying that. They, they, they can't even afford food for their own, you know. So, and, and Jesus said, if you do that and you host those people, you will be rewarded by God when you get to heaven. What a great reward to get one day, the hospitality reward. Well, that's, that's, that's quite amazing. But just as important as extending your hospitality with the physical things is, all right, physical things such as food, the clothing, the shelter, just as important as that is your attitude. Look at verse 9 again. He says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, I read the story of a woman that invited um, her pastor and his family to come over for lunch one day after the Sunday service. And as they sat down at the table, the pastor looked at the woman's daughter and he said, why don't you pray for the blessing today? And the little girl panicked a little and she said, I, I have no idea what to say. And the pastor said, don't worry about it, you know, just, just pray whatever mommy says. And so, all right, <laughs> the little girl closed her eyes, she put her hands together, and she said, oh God, why did I invite all these people <laughs> to come and eat on this hot day? <laughs> that's grudging. <laughs> that's grudging. But that's embarrassing, right? <laughs> Kids will do that to you. But that speaks about the attitude with, with which we should be hospitable. All right? We should do it with a smile. And, and that smile should not only be on our face. It should be a smile on our heart as well. Right, that's where the attitude comes from. We should not be griping and complaining about, oh, why did I invite them? Or why are they here now? You know, all of this um, is also not behind their backs, especially not in front of them, but <laughs> also not uh, behind their backs. All right? 
You know what happens? You find your husband or wife in the kitchen who's like, oh, I wish they would leave. All right. That's griping. That, that's grudging. All right. And that's not what the Lord wants. Our hospitality should come from a loving heart that seeks to be bless, blessing others. That's where it should be coming from. Because if you think about this, being hospitable to someone is not only extending that invitation. You might some, find somebody on your porch, you know, and you think, well, maybe I should let them in because it's raining or whatever, you know. And it would most probably be in an inconvenient time. You might not have the money for it, you know. You think, well, we're already strapped for cash. Fighting against in loving others is, is, is not to have that kind of attitude. And so in chasing after fervent love amongst ourselves, Peter said firstly, love covers sin. Secondly, love reaches out by, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> love reaches out by being hospitable to others. And now lastly, we see here in verse 10 and 11, love um, ministers to each other. Look at verse 10. He writes, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What I want to show you here is how there are different kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is not the only text that speaks about this. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll get verse 4. Got that? All right. Verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now, I won't get into the specifics of these gifts right now. We actually did that recently in our midweek services. But the point here is that every believer receives gifts from God um, through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit decides how much he's going to give or what he's going to give to what believer. Um, he can decide to give them one gift or a few different gifts, different levels of every gift, whatever. It's totally up to him. But what you end up with is that every believer has his own unique, special set of gifts that he receives from God. You know, I like what one commentator wrote about this. I'm just going to read this quote to you. He said, Each believer's spiritual giftedness is unique, as if each were a spiritual snowflake or fingerprint. 
It is as if God dips his paintbrush into different colors or categories of gifts on his spiritual palette and paints each Christian a unique blend of colors. That's beautiful, right? <laughs> I wish I had a way with words like that, all right? But, but the importance of this cannot be overstated. Every Christian is uniquely gifted so that they can minister in the body of Christ with their own unique set of abilities. Those gifts are abilities, all right? It's stuff that you're able to do. And when they do that, when they minister with those gifts, they are able to fulfill their own specific role in the body of Christ. And so there are a variety, as Paul said, a variety of gifts, administrations, and operations that everybody can perform, and that's verse 4 to 6. But it is up to every one of us to play our own unique part in the body of Christ. That's the practical Christianity coming out again. And we should be serving one another, as Peter says, with these gifts that we have received, or that we may still receive. And when we do that, it is a benefit to the church. Look at verse 7. He says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, to profit everybody. That's the reason why these gifts are, are being handed out by the Lord. But now the opposite is also true. If we don't use the gifts that we've been given by the grace of God, well, then we are negatively affecting the church. Paul goes on to explain that. Look at verse uh, 14. He says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? What a silly thing to think, eh? If my foot starts to say, ah, no, I'm done with you, <laughs> All right. and there goes the foot. <laughs> it can't. It's stuck to me. It's still part of the body, All right? <laughs> Verse 16, and if the ear shall say, ah, because I'm not, a, not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No. It doesn't matter what the ear thinks, All right? It's still part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? If you can just imagine that, if everything was just one hand, poof, that would have been weird, first of all. But where's the body? Where's the rest of the functions that the body needs? It's not there. That, that, that's his point. Verse 20. But now are they many members, yet but one body. If you look at the body... There are many members. There's a head, eyes, nose, ears, mouth, you know, hands, all of these things. All right? And all of this together, packaged up, makes the body. All right? If you only have one of those things, well, you're not a body. There's a problem. All right? <laughs> the point here is that everybody has their own specific place within the body of Christ. If God made you, made you a foot, don't think that because you're not a hand, well, now you're useless to God. That, that, that's not what it is. If he made you an ear, well, then don't think that you are unnecessary because you're not an eye. Oh, I'm not as important as the eye. <laughs> what a silly thing to say for an ear. You know, if everybody, everybody has a job to do, and those that are gifted with those kind of gifts that, that may be more seen more up front, you know, like the eyes, okay, that's the first thing you see of somebody, you know, some of you ladies have long hair, we don't even see the ears, all right, but we see the eyes, those are the things that are up front, all right, and that, that's typically the guy standing here in front teaching or preaching, you know, the guys that do the visible things, 
that guy's job may not be as important in other circumstances. In other circumstances, you don't need an eye, you need an ear. If you only had eyes and no ears, well, you couldn't hear what's going on around you, right? Sometimes you just need that ear uh, to do the job. And yeah, then the eye is not going to be so much benefit, uh, or so much benefit to the body at that, in that instance. But on other points, or in other areas, the eye will be more beneficial than the ear. But that's how the members each play their role. At the point when you are needed, you are the most important, well, one of the most important parts of the body at that instance when you're needed. We need to realize that. You see, every, every believer has a unique blend of gifts, but all of them are essential for the, uh, for the working of the body of Christ, to, for it to function properly. All of us together constitute the body of Christ. Look at verse 27. You're still in 1 Corinthians 12, right? Verse 27, he says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. One body, but members in particular. You see that? It's extremely important that we use the gifts that the Lord gave us, or that He's giving us, to lovingly minister them to each other. It's a back and forth thing. Let's go back to First Peter 4. Verse 11. Oh, sorry. Let's get verse 10 again. I just want to point something out there. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, like we just said, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you want to be a good steward of what the Lord gave you, well then, minister it to each other. Minister it to me, I'll minister mine to you. And, and, and that's how this thing works. That's how the body of Christ is put together and how it's supposed to work. And that's why this picture of a body is actually a wonderful picture that we got there in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we need to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God because each gift that you get is by the grace of God alone. That's why you have those gifts. Now you may sit there and think, well, I have no idea what I can do. You know, I'm I can't do anything. Can you make a cup of coffee? Like seriously, can you make a cup of coffee for somebody? Because that's actually something that you can do for somebody else. Can you sweep a floor? I guess you can do that, right? It's as simple as that, right? You can start there. If you, if you don't know, oh, what are my skills? I don't know. Start with something like that. Can you help an elderly person that is struggling to get out of the car to get out of the car? Can you do something like that and minister your love towards them in that way? We just need to open our eyes and, and be willing to chase after this kind of love. We don't need to overanalyze these things. Now, look at verse 11 now. <laughs> if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the uh, ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here, Peter is giving a general application of how to minister these gifts to each other. Once again, I love it. It's, it's so practical, all right? Um, he basically divides the different types of spiritual gifts into two broad categories. He's got, we've got the speaking gifts and we've got the ministering gifts. Those with the speaking gifts are typically the teachers and preachers and so on, and those with the ministering gifts... And, 
once again, remember, it's a blend of gifts that everybody gets, all right? But those with the ministering gifts will typically serve through things like prayer or administration, helping others, and so on. And so if, if somebody wants to minister to others with their speaking gift, well, he says that you need to do it as the oracles of God. I don't care about your opinion. Really, I don't. When it comes to things of God, I, have, I, I can't care less about your opinion. I want to know what God says. You need to speak the oracles of God to me. That's what I need. That's what every preacher or teacher needs to do. Um, I don't care about your ideas. I don't care about your opinions. Please, uh, we can have an interesting discussion about that, sure. But when it's time to stand here and teach and preach, well, please give me the word of God. All right? But instead, you know, well, not instead. Well, we should minister the word of God. And as Peter says there in the second half of the verse, uh, you can get that there. Um, if any man minister, let him do as of the ability which God giveth. Why? That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Speak the oracles of God so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ when you do that. It's very simple. <laughs> all right? Um, if you minister through any of the ministerial types of gifts, all right? Don't do it through your own power, all right? Instead, do it with the ability that God gives you. He says that in verse 11. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God... That, that's why we should be loving each other. It's to glorify God. We're showing that we, we're Jesus' disciples when we are loving each other in this way, in this intensely practical way. Um, it's been said before, but... but uh, at this point, I think it's, it's worthwhile to think about this, is that this is not just a club, you know, like a sports club that we're belonging to. Right? We pay our tithe, you know, that's sort of our membership fee, <laughs> stuff like that. That's not what this is. That's not what this is. I, I'm, I'm not just talking about the local church. I'm talking about the church of Christ, right? Everybody that's saved. Um, this is a, a very serious thing, and it's, it's a practical thing to be loving um, other believers, so let's summarize. We should be willing um, to purposely chase after fervently loving each other. That's what we should be doing. And not, like I just said, not just the people in our congregation, but all believers. We should be fervently loving each other. And we can do that by covering or overlooking each other's sin. All right? We don't need to nail everybody on every single thing. All right? Now, of course, like I said, we don't ignore sin, but we do forgive it. We can also fervently love each other by being hospitable towards believers, whether they are friends, whether they are family, strangers. We can be hospitable to them, and we can do that with a good attitude, without grudging. That's a way that you can show your love. And then lastly, as we just saw, you know, we can love each other fervently um, by using the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given us to minister to each other. Not to make a name for ourselves, that's never the point. It's never the point to get fame out of it, because then you're throwing love out of the door, isn't it? You have a different motivation. That's not why we're doing this. Uh, we do it because we love each other, um, and we do it through the ability and through the power that the Lord has given us so that we can bring glory to God through Jesus Christ that has saved us.
I hope that made sense. And um, maybe, maybe you've already thought about a few ways to apply this. Uh, let's bow our heads and we can pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that you teach us everything that we need to know in this life, even how to love each other. Um, something that, that we might think is, is an obvious thing on how to love. But Lord, thank you for giving us practical ways of doing that and ideas of doing that. Please help us to implement the things that we've learned. Please help us not to be like that man standing in front of the mirror and then just walking away forgetting what he looks like. Please help us to be doers of, of what we learn, Lord. Remind us of these things. And um, thank you for being with us today. And thank you for being with us in this session. Amen.